Hello and welcome to All About Windows Phone Insight number 71. I'm Rafe Blanford and I'm joined by Steve Litchfield. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show, Steve. We've got no urine this week. We thought we'd uh, do something a bit more imaging heavy this week. And Steve's been trying out the 1020, so we're going to get his expert opinion on that. I'll be uh, chipping in as well. So I'd like to think I know a little bit about cameras as well. But as a result, it's just going to be us two on the on the podcast this week. Uh, but Steve, I think we'll get to the 1020 at the second half of the podcast. I know you're uh, raring to share some of your yeah. views and opinions on that, but perhaps we should run through some other Windows phone news that's been uh, out in the last week or so. Well, I guess in this case, it's uh, news that's happening right now. We've just heard word overnight that the uh, Nokia Amber update and Windows Phone GDR2 are starting to roll out for certain Nokia devices, including, according to some sources, the 920, which is some device close to many of our listeners' hearts. I guess the highlights of things like the GDR2 and Nokia Amber, we'll put a story up on the main site, but things like the the glance screen coming in, even for the uh, LCD screen models, you get a limited amount of always-on clock. Uh, the n- new versions of Here Maps, Here Drive, a data sense should be there to allow you to shape the amount of data into, in and out by your cellular connection. Um, any other highlights spring out to you, things you're really looking forward to, Rafe? Well, on the, the Nokia Amber side, I think it's really about the camera and that you're getting those new algorithms in there that are going to significantly improve kind of camera output. We've done a piece on the site that compared the Lumia 920 running GDR1 against the Lumia 925 running GDR2. In fact, Steve did a lot of the work for that one. And it's quite obvious there is a big difference. And it's kind of the, the soft focus issue on the 920, but those updates will actually apply right across the range. Those software algorithms, to a lesser or greater extent, will be being used on all the Lumia devices. And so you can expect to see uh, camera performance improvements right across the range. So I think that's a pretty big deal. Uh, there's lots and lots of small updates in there. There's, for example, just wrote a story about how there's improved uh, support for WAV files in GDR2. And that means if you're getting voicemails attached to email, which a lot of corporate and consumer voicemail systems now generate as an alternative to dialing in, you're more likely to be able to play those back. I know that's been a complaint for some Windows Phone 8 users, especially as it did work in Windows Phone 7, but that's now coming back in. Similarly, you're getting something like the FM radio on GDR2. Uh, for the, the Nokia devices, you get smart camera, and that's kind of a, a burst mode for the camera. And it's also going to enable the camera pro, which is or Pro Camera, which is something that comes on the 1020, that will come to the high-end uh, Windows Phone 8 device, so the uh, 920, 925, and 928. I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be delivered as part of the update, but certainly going to be enabling it. And, you know, within display, you already mentioned glass screen, but there's also color profiles, which means, especially if you're on an AMOLED device and you find it a bit overbright or you don't like the color balance, you can shift that subtly. And so in one sense you can have it in any color tone that you like i've tweaked the settings slightly on my own devices and it does make a difference so it's the kind of little things there that are, are, are nice to see but also you can talk about updates to apis there isn't anything new for developers as far as we're aware um actually the sdk has literally just been released an update for uh, windows phone 8 gdr2 you can get that from the microsoft site but there are some fixes for uh, APIs that were broken or not quite working properly in, in various places. I think for you, Steve, one of the big deals for that is going to be uh, podcasts being able to download in the background properly through the resource-intensive task. It's a kind of a background task. People don't really need to worry about the technical details, but that will improve the multitasking ability when developers choose to take advantage of it, obviously. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that will make the, all the difference between a Windows Phone device being a plaything and something I can use as my day-to-day device. Pod, listening to podcasts is the, probably the number one thing, maybe apart from taking photos, than I do on a smartphone. And to have that functionality just broken at the API level, at the OS level, has been so frustrating for month after month after month on Windows Phone. And finally, um, devices like my 920 here, and of course the 1020, the 925, they have that functionality restored. The 920, I did check it this morning, Rafe. Nothing's still over the air for mine. But as usual with these rollouts, it does take a few days, if not weeks, for all the different product codes and regions and networks to get supported, even for people with SIM-free devices. So I guess I just have to keep checking every day. That's right. I mean, it's already started rolling out for some Samsung devices and some HTC devices. I haven't actually seen it yet for Nokia devices. Uh, you know, with these updates, you get this process where it's often they're kind of the newly launched devices to get the update first and then newly manufactured devices. So there's ports, for example, AT&T have just made the 520 available on their pairs. You go to have Go phone in the US and those devices are shipping uh, with AMP or with GDR2. And there's just a few reports of stuff going into, you know, the retail chains now on the, some of the existing devices have it. The most recent development, which was, I think, yesterday, was the new firmwares are sitting on the Nokia servers. So it's the Nokia service centers that download those firmwares and then install them into devices. And that's usually a sign um, that the update is going to be available very shortly. Indeed, you can actually download it if you know what you're doing and flash it to a new device or flash it to a device. The trouble is, if you do that, it resets and technically it will break your <laughs> warranty and it's not supported, not approved. But as I said, I would expect that means that those updates, and this is for the 920 and the 820, will arrive sometime in the next week or so. It might even be by the time we publish this podcast. We'll have to wait and see. But it does seem that... Um, for the Nokia devices, which of course make up the majority of Windows Phone devices now, it is going to be available very shortly. I suspect it may take a little bit longer to arrive for the 620 and the 520. Talk about, you know, rolling out updates. They sort of do one at a time. You know, it's, it's partly about resources. How many things can you make live? You know, can your servers cope? But also all the testing that goes on. I imagine the priority would have been put on devices like the 920, kind of for obvious reasons that those users are probably more likely to update. And honestly, I think the updates have the biggest biggest impact on those devices. We will, of course, you know, keep people informed on the site and offer a kind of a summary of all the new things you can see. We've we we haven't touched on all of them, ones we're kind of most excited about, but uh, there are other d- updates in there as well, and no doubt that Nokia will probably talk about some that we haven't realised also coming uh, shortly as well. Yeah, I would recommend waiting for the official update to arrive <laughs> over the air because you will keep everything. And it, uh, uh, Windows Phone is not like um, the best Android devices. I mean, some of the Galaxy Nexus, for example, and Nexus 4 and Android, you can literally hard reset it and then t- turn it back on and everything comes back exactly as it was, including your Wi-Fi access points. At worst, many of the Android phones actually don't do that at all, and they're horribly broken. Uh, Windows Phone is kind of somewhere in the middle. You, in theory, you can get some stuff back, and of course, you can work through your list of installed apps from the WindowsPhone.com um, lists. But it's really not ideal, and I, I just don't want to go through that hassle anymore. Ray. Life is too short. <laughs> I want the official update over the air, and keep all my settings and all my applications. So yeah. And I'd say while it's a, a you know a significant update, it's still relatively minor, so it's probably not worth resetting a device for. And as you say, it, it's not. I mean, I think Apple are actually the best when it comes to resetting and then restoring a device. And some of the Android devices work well. The Windows Phone backup works fine for apps and for accounts, but it's actually the data that goes alongside that. Um, 
in theory, apps can back up and restore to SkyDrive, but not very many of them actually implement that kind of functionality. Of course, you then have to restore it yourself. It's not part of a, a central process. It's actually one area where I think it would be really nice to see some more work done from from Microsoft on that. Uh, you know, people talk about this GDR2 update and say, is it a big one? I think actually the GDR2 element of it is pretty small. We've talked about a few updates. The Amber, the, the kind of the Nokia-specific part of it, is more significant and other manufacturers yeah. are also doing some updates htc for example uh, introducing something that uh, allows you to remove the temporary files the so-called other storage problem that other storage problem is actually one of the fixes in gdr2 but don't expect it to suddenly get rid of all your other files because your other files which you'll you'll find if you go into settings uh, are actually kind of a temporary file and there's lots of things stored there that absolutely should be stored there but what the update should do is it should uh, prevent it growing out of control and it'll actually sort of do management and go back and delete them every now and then i'm not sure the exact details of how it's going to work but it'll probably be time based um it's good to see that htc and nokia continue to support their tools to kind of flush that other storage as well so there's kind of a a double option there but um you know should microsoft have done more updates Uh, it's an interesting one that because people talk about it being you know, uh, a long time since the Windows Phone 8 launch. It's actually really nine months, so I'm not convinced it needs a really big update um, that is kind of scheduled to come early next year, possibly with Windows Phone 8.1, and there's going to be another GDR release before the end of the year. Uh, but it, within this, there's actually been a few enabling features for other things. So, for example, the 1020 wouldn't have been possible without GDR2 because of some of the changes it makes to the way imaging works on the phone. That's all at a lower level, so you don't see it. Um, and there are quite a few other examples of that. I think the same will happen on the next GDR release. It's going to be about high-resolution screens and faster processors and things like that. And there'll probably be relatively few kind of consumer features. I think Microsoft probably do need to work harder there, but I don't think they deserve the criticism they sometimes get. And people talk about Windows Phone 8 being exactly the same as Windows Phone 7.5. I think anyone who's used that will realise it's not true. It's a lot about the experience features rather than feature points. But more importantly, it's also that big transition from 7 to 8, which was switching the kernels and the underlying stuff, which went incredibly smoothly um, by comparison to what could have happened. And I don't think Microsoft deserves credit for that. But it's certainly fair to say that if they don't deliver you know, a good set of consumer-facing updates in 8.1, which, as I say, is probably scheduled for some time next year, and there's no guarantee it's going to be called 8.1, by the way, um, then we can probably have a, a more serious discussion around that. But for now, I think people will enjoy GDR2 and Amber because there's lots of little bits in there that improve existing devices. And uh, if I had to pick out one thing, on the on the Nokia devices, it would be the improved uh, camera performance. I think that's really great to see. Um, have you got a particular favourite feature having now used it on the 1020, Steve? I th- yeah, that 925 um, versus 920 article I did, I think that, that really pr- brought the point home to me. And it wasn't actually clear until you brought my attention to looking at... Well, I'm normally the one accused of going too far down to the pixel <laughs> level. But even in this case, you said, no, Steve, look closer, look closer. And right down at the pixel level, there was huge improvements on the 925 in terms of algorithms. But you do need to go that close. 
to look, which is why I did some uh, ultra blow-ups, if I put it that way, in the article. So do go and see the article. All these um, these new algorithms will make a big difference to devices like the 920, which are still getting criticised for, as you say, slightly woolly colours, slightly woolly <laughs> woolly details, if you may, if you, if you, on, on particular shots. And I think this will improve things markedly. But Rafe, we, we did say these were supposed to be rapid-fire news items. We just spent we 10 minutes talking about the first one. So Yeah, well, I think we can speed through the other ones, perhaps. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, Instagram, or should I say hash Instagram, which just sounds nothing like Instagram. Uh, I gather we still haven't got an official Instagram client, Rafe? No, there's still no efficient client. There was a bit of excitement this week because uh, Rudy Hoon, who's the developer of this forthcoming Instagram client, uh, sort of said that he'd been talking to it. Instagram was going to sort of get them to sign off it from a, a legal and a technical point of view. And that might result in a, a kind of supported by Instagram label. It's very early days for that, but everyone kind of jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, isn't this exciting? Um, I try to kind of take the middle road in the story we wrote about this and saying, you know, there's no official agreement yet. There's no official use of the Instagram APIs. Um, but I, I think it's still interesting to see that this is going on. Others have said, well, Instagram's doing this all the time and they're talking from a legal point of view and have done so to other developers. That's true, although actually for the Windows Phone versions, it's actually mainly been Microsoft saying, you can't call it Instagram, you need to rename that if you want to put it into the Windows Phone store. Um, so I think there's possibly a little more going on here, but the idea that it's going to be any kind of official client or an officially blessed client is not correct. And so people maybe need to calm down. It, it's um, a very good app. I think people are really going to like this as a way of using Instagram on their Windows phone device. And it may well be that um, the developer is able to kind of get sign off from Instagram to say, yes, you can officially use the API. I suspect it may be more a case of turning a blind eye than anything else as it has been for the other Windows phone apps, which honestly has surprised me. I expected there'd be more trouble uh, before now, but it's just part of this ongoing Instagram saga, and people kind of wonder why, why do we get so interested in it? Well, a lot of people want to know about it, but uh, Daniel Gary, who's actually the developer of Instance, which is another unofficial third-party client, noted that he had 300,000 people using uh, Instance, which I think is a pretty impressive number for an app that's had virtually no marketing attached to it, and it's just through word of mouth. And for an unofficial third-party app, that's pretty impressive. It tells you something about the number of people interested and keen to use uh, Instagram. At the same time, I would also say I wouldn't, you know, entirely focus on that because there's plenty of other app issues to talk about. But uh, just thought we'd mention it in passing in the podcast. There's more details on the on the website. You can see also stuff about how Instagram changed the API, which uh, caused some apps to stop working, and people thought maybe there was blocking going on. It turned out to just be Instagram changing things without maybe thinking things through uh, thoroughly. So I guess this isn't the place for me to launch into my rant about how Instagram is pointless and taking beautiful 8 megapixel images and reducing them to VGA and looking like they were taken in 1930 is not a good idea. Wrong uh, place for the rant? But, but probably not the right place for the rant. I mean, I, I do agree with you in that I'm not sure I always see the appeal, but then you have to look outside your own viewpoint and clearly Instagram's a very popular service in that kind of filter-based photo mangling or creativity, depending on what way you look at it, uh, <laughs> you know, has become one of those things that has become popular i'm sure you'll be able to find some grumpy old man who sort of raves about twitter being completely pointless why share messages in 140 characters when you can update your myspace page or use facebook or, or whatever uh, i think it's to, to each their own and sometimes the things that kind of
kind of you know really take off are very hard to predict uh, by the same token you can look at the instant messaging clients you know there's various ones out there whatsapp having 250 million active users line and wechat out in china with you know similar numbers um, and you know some people say i don't use them at all but that's kind of the point about smartphones everyone uses it slightly differently so while steve is horrified by people mangling 10 20 photos by putting them up to instagram other people won't be understanding why steve spends so much time listening to podcasts i feel like you and spence are saying this but just because something's popular <laughs> doesn't mean it's any good and, and i give you as evidence justin bieber but <laughs> uh, well yeah that, that's right we've just uh, totally offended all our justin bieber fans all, all one of them, yes. Right. Uh, another news item here. Samsung seemed to have um, launched themselves into action. Uh, after months of completing activity on their Windows phone front, they've released four applications, count them four, for their Ativest. I guess, Rafe, maybe you could just run through the last couple, which are of particular interest. Yes, we just wanted to mention this very briefly as we talk so much about the, the Nokia apps. They announced Paper Artist and Manga Camera, both things that have come over from the Android world. They kind of let you uh, turn photos into kind of line drawings or artistic drawings and kind of comic or manga based images respectively then they also released video trimmer which is a way to just top and tail video produced on the device that's great if you're showing and want to kind of remove the shake that you get at the beginning and end or just pick out a specific clip from a longer one and there's also apps folder which perhaps is the most interesting it allows you to have a, a kind of a folder pinned to your home screen that effectively has a bunch of app shortcuts in it so it feels like having a folder on the home screen it's actually it's not it's you know obviously an app that's doing it but it will support both uh, the built-in and third-party apps and so for those that like having access to lots of apps on their home screen this might be a, a solution to avoid having your home screen getting or your start screen getting too long and overcrowded uh, but you know credit to samsung they've actually you know, released some of these apps uh, i suspect it's actually around the release of the atif s neo over uh, on the sprint network in the us but other atif users are, are going to be able to benefit from this and so you know samsung sort of having been behind htc on kind of the exclusive app front i think you'd now have to put htc in in third place nokia is still tracking along i think in first place its apps uh, both being new, more numerous and I would argue uh, more useful. I mean, for example, we, this week we had a, an update to Glammy. I think that's one of their kind of more edge case apps, improving self-portraits. But again, selfies, as they're known, that's something that's very big in some markets and in certain age segments. But I can't believe uh, Glammy is an app that you go around using, Steve. <laughs> I take enough photos and video of myself. But people are already fed up with the sight of me. Um, you wanted to talk about SkyDrive. I'm guessing you you, you meant this uh, legal dispute, which has finally been resolved, and Microsoft have now got to rename it. I know you and suggested Brian as an alternative, but I'm sure there's something more sensible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know what it's going to be called. Microsoft Drive, something like that, um, remains to be seen. But given SkyDrive is such an integral part of Windows Phone, we just thought we'd give this a mention. It's going to be changed from SkyDrive to something else, because Sky, which is a, a satellite broadcaster in, in Europe and particularly in the UK, won a legal case over the use of the, the Sky trademark. So Microsoft's going to have to change things around there. So it will be a gradual process. They've been given time to make that transition. But I suspect a future update to Windows Phone will see uh, the name change in Windows Phone. It may happen a bit quicker on the web. I also thought it'd be worth mentioning there's some updates to skydrive.com. It's now much easier to share kind of specific groups of files which for windows phone users particularly interesting if you're doing the auto upload of your photos which is switched on by default and i know a lot of people also switch that on for high resolution photos as well you get a folder in skydrive that's called your camera roll and quite often you'll want to share photos 
with people from from that role and doing it from SkyDrive, you don't have to then attach it to an email. And um, yeah, it, it's certainly an interesting way to do it. But you could only share an entire folder at the same time or one one file, which was a bit inconvenient if you wanted to say share five pictures from a you know a group activity. But now you can actually share any number of files and they can be in different folders or the same folder and then get that universal sharing link that SkyDrive uh, generates. Now this is on skydrive.com but I wouldn't be surprised if this uh, in time also comes to the SkyDrive app on Windows Phone. There are various other updates on there. There's improved support for high DPI screens. Basically what that means is if you're on a decent monitor you'll see a higher resolution photo uh, and they'll look better. There's also some interesting updates in that you can now edit files as a built-in file or text editor on skydrive.com and it's just part of a pattern of these continuous updates and uh, sometimes we forget that you know when you're thinking about a phone you need to also think about the kind of the ancillary or the related features of it and i think uh skydrive and so office online or the web version of office is actually something that sometimes gets underestimated on windows phone particularly from a, a productivity point of view but having that uh, built in it's a very strong feature. Uh, I know a lot of people continue to use uh, Dropbox and alternatives like that, but uh, SkyDrive really has gone from strength to strength, even if it is now going to have a name change. <laughs> yeah, and people obviously call Windows Phone the third ecosystem in terms of mobile, but I would argue in terms of cloud infrastructure and support, I mean, Google obviously are the number one in terms of Google Drive and Google Docs and so forth. Um, but I, I would place Microsoft as a strong number two there. And uh, Apple, who are, of course, in the main mobile race, I'd say Apple's cloud offerings are perhaps far more media-centric, but uh, I would say they're in third place in, in the cloud. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I feel Apple's got a really strong presence in iCloud, and as you say, the media thinks so. From a consumer point of view, I think it can be regarded as pretty strong, and PhotoStream you know, works pretty effectively as well. Uh, I also admire the way iCloud um, works for developers if you're doing kind of the real-time stuff but for other aspects it's a bit of a nightmare for developers so it you know it, it goes both ways that i mean skydrive has been more based around file sharing where you know icloud was sort of data and so you can do that real-time process word processing for example that's obviously come into uh, skydrive as well but yes i'd agree particularly if you look at it from an enterprise point of view or productivity Microsoft is very strong. I mean, I'd even argue that it, it's stronger than Google in some ways because uh, you're getting you know, Office, which is obviously the de facto standard, uh, particularly if they're starting now to introduce that real-time collaboration, which it was always one of the strengths for me of Google Docs. Um, it, it depends how you look at it. but you know, And then obviously you've got um, Gmail versus Outlook. I'd say, that, say they're both very strong offerings and it's going to be largely dependent on which one you're using currently, which one you prefer. If you're starting out, uh, it's a much harder decision um, and probably is dictated by which phone you end up buying. Um, you know, I think the familiarity that people will have with the, the Microsoft way of doing things is does have a, a certain advantage. It's not something that gets talked about all that much, but you're right, you know, cloud is an interesting dimension to consider. Um, but then you look at the, the media side of... Um, windows phone or microsoft cloud and i think that's pretty weak the xbox music has improved things but there really isn't a provision for video or movies and tv in the same way there is in the android and the apple world so as i say it does depend on what you look at yeah. okay well we were kind of running short of time so this next news item rafe i'm not going to let you talk i'm just going to read out what you wrote basically just to briefly mention strategy analytics one of the research firms we do follow and i know rafe there's all these lovely charts so do see the site if you want rafe's take on this all 
uh, has published its latest report on global sh- smartphone shipments. Apparently, Windows Phone has shipped 8.9 million devices in the second quarter of the year, which sounds quite small compared to Android and iOS, but it is a solid um, a bump up and it's a solid, solid growth. Uh, up year on year from 5.6 million to 8.9 million. So if it carries on at that rate, I guess it's still going to be well and truly in third place, but at least it will be growing. Um, and I would actually, I will let Rafe talk because very briefly, Rafe, I reckon with this GDR2 and all the devices getting this major update, I think the word of mouth on the street will grow that people think, well, my device just got better, it got smoother, things work more reliably, the new devices will come out of the factory with GDR2 and Nokia Ampa, with the, and the always on screen in particular, it draws the eye, you think, well, my iPhone hasn't got that, my Android device hasn't got that, how do I get that? Oh, you need a Windows phone, you need a Nokia, and I think that will make a big difference. Yeah, and these numbers are for Q2, so there's a lot of devices that have come out, the 925, the 1020, the 928, that, you know, may strengthen that i mean it, these these growth has been driven by the lower cost devices but i think windows phones more competitive at the high end and so it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain that rate of growth you know they're not all that far off um you know iphone i mean iphone is is still you know bigger by you know some distance but in some markets as you can actually see if you look at the breakdown of the kantar data it's getting quite close and that's also on the site this week and that showed that uh, windows phone is getting to eight nine percent in france and the uk which you know is starting to be a little bit more you can't just dismiss it as a four percent nothing um so you know steady progress and it'll be really interesting to see what happens next because of course you know, at the same time android's developing 4.3 as ios 7 coming out and the cheap iphone later this year so if anything it's going to get more competitive but I think Windows Phone is definitely better place to compete where it is now than it was a year ago when you know actually we were waiting for Windows Phone 8 devices to come along and now there's a lot of Windows Phone 8 devices out there quite a lot of diversity within that as well and there's this prospect of more to come so it's going to be really interesting watching this three-way race in the next couple of years. Yeah, I can't believe I was bossing you around on your own podcast. Right? <laughs> That's um, all right. I, You're going to do all the sure. talking now because we're going to switch to something else. Well, how about you ask me, is the camera in the Nokia Lumia 1020 any good? Okay, Steve, is the camera in the Nokia Lumia 1020 any good? Yes. You've been listening to the All About Windows Phone. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's cracking. Um, I did publish uh, my review part yesterday as we record this, and I think you felt that my verdict, quite rightly, was slightly mixed. And I wanted to just set the record straight. I, I think the, the camera in the Nokia Lumia 1020 is a staggering piece of work. The way they've integrated it and not produced a monstrosity of a device like the Galaxy S4 Zoom, or even people argue that Nokia 808 had just too, too much of a camera hump. They've got more or less the same technology, more or less the same camera, more or less the same level, level of performance, and only added a couple of millimeters and added, and added it in a really stylish way. That is a staggering achievement. And the, the photos from the 1020 hold up against those from the other two devices I just mentioned. And they're miles ahead of things like the 95 and the iPhones. Even the Galaxy S4, I think, would struggle to get close to things that the 1020 can produce. And the fact that I I delivered a mixed verdict, Rafe, I guess, reflected some of my experiences actually using the camera, using the the, the backup software. Uh, Could we just run through some of the bullet points there, if if I may? Yes, absolutely. Because, you you know, we just emphasize, you know, we think the 1020 is pretty amazing um, from a camera point of view, and it is a league ahead. But I think in a review, we actually want to 
focus on the issues that might give you cause for concern or, or might give you, you know, why, why would I not want to buy it? Because anyone who's interested in cameras is otherwise going to be going, the 1020 is the device to have it. And honestly, I think it is. But uh, let's go through some of these uh, one by one, shall we, Steve? Yeah, I mean, the, the initial startup time, I mean, a lot of these things can actually be fixed or at least optimized in software. We shouldn't forget this is the, the 1020 is very, very new. It's only been released in one territory and there will be firmware updates and tweaks galore over the next six months if the Nokia A280 a year ago was anything to go by, all of which will directly affect the camera and its performance. Uh, the startup time at the moment is four seconds if you go from scratch. But uh, well, you did notice, actually, when chatting to me, Rafe, that uh, if you just, rather than using the back button after using Nokia Pro Camera, if you just press the Windows key, in other words, just put it kind of frozen in the background, it only takes a second to leap back into action. So I guess people either have to train themselves not to use the back button or Nokia perhaps you know, hard code it in software somehow to always hang around and so that it's ready to, to leap into action at a moment's notice. Yeah, this is the standard Windows phone thing. I think experienced users know often pressing the start button is a better thing to do, especially if you're intending to come back to it later. Of course, it can close in the background depending what other apps that you go and use. But it's an important point to remember. And actually, it's because this Nokia Pro camera is effectively treated like a third-party app on Windows phone whereas the default camera app is a built-in app. And I think most people will be familiar with the performance differences in startup times between those. And just generally, it takes a second or two sometimes to start up the apps. Depending on the complexity, you can have third-party apps that start very quickly, but obviously Pro Camera, it, it's not a simple app. And so that's why this startup issue is a, is a concern. Uh, it, it's somewhat ameliorated if you're using you know, the, the camera capture key in that that always takes a, a little bit of time. Uh, the startup matters because if you're trying to snap something quickly, it, it can become a big deal. You know, how long does it take to get out of your pocket and start doing things? But uh, again, it, it's fast enough, I think, that it's probably okay. There's a, another performance issue that I think may concern people more, especially depending on the type of photos they take. Yeah, the shot-to-shot time. I mean, if you just use Nokia Pro Camera, you take a snap, and you wait while it, it does all the oversampling and saves the underlying dual capture 38 megapixel image, you end up around four seconds. Now, that is, is fine if you're taking a photograph of land, a landscape, which is not going to move. It's not fine if you're trying to take a photograph of your 18-month-old toddler who's <laughs> running around <laughs> and doing something amazing. Now, the thing is that there are if you turn off the dual capture, you only actually save a second. It's still three seconds because... Nokia Pro Camera, as an application, basically takes that underlying raw image and then does stuff with it, whether you actually choose the shapes to save the dual capture image or not. There is the default Windows Phone Camera application, which we did test, and that does use a one-second shot-to-shot time. It does this by doing a much lower-grade um, down oversampling. I'm not even convinced, Ray, that it's the actually oversampling at all. I think it's more or less just taking every fifth, every sixth, every seventh pixel. And But you pretty given that it's got a large sensor and pretty large optics in good light, you do actually get a very good photograph. You get it very quickly, as you would on the 925 or the 920, etc. But you don't get any of the actual oversampling. You don't get the ability to reframe afterwards, which is so crucial. You certainly can't do any zooming in, lossless zoom. So it really is a do you want to take something instant and quick with fast shot shot times or do you want the flexibility and the quality it's a shame you have to choose ahead of time we'd love you to have a single and maybe an alternative shutter icon on the screen rave so that you've got nokia pro camera loaded up but a tap on this extra shutter icon on the left gives you an instant one second shot shot without the oversampling because you're in a hurry 
Yeah, it is an interesting one. I mean, people will know I prefer to have things simple, so I like the way they've done it. Um, it does feel a bit strange having the three different applications because you've also got smart camera. And if you're doing burst mode type photography, like Jordan running around, I'd argue you might decide to use smart camera. But you're right, Steve, there is this this issue. You, know, you have to decide beforehand, which is the antithesis of everything else about pro camera with the reframing, which we, we will touch on later because I think that's kind of the most important consumer feature in the 1020 that, that doesn't get enough attention. Um, but yeah, you're right. It depends on the type of shots you're taking um personally i don't do that much one shot after another but clearly it is an important thing for some people the the interesting topic here is you know is this a result of the kind of the hardware being restricted on windows phone um, people know that it's running kind of standard snapdragon s4 processor with two gigabytes of ram and that two gigabytes of ram is probably the extra that is in there for the camera uh, but it's not using a dedicated imaging chip like the 808 did or like the HTC One does and various other kind of imaging strong devices. I'm not completely convinced that this is down to hardware. I think there's room for improvement in software. I think the one second difference between kind of dual shot mode and, you know, this, this single mode that you probably can't do anything about. That one second is the input output, you know, writing a file and you'll see something very similar if you're using the full resolution mode on the aid weight or indeed any other camera if you, you know writing file sizes it, it just takes time but it'll be interesting to see whether nokia can improve that uh, processing time at all or as you say maybe introduce another mode because um, i think it would be worth pursuing you know to get this yeah. uh, you know camera to be more like the things that you get for the s1 the htc1 and the lumia 925 on the other hand, it's a bit unfair to criticise that, you know, it's the compromise that you get from having this fantastic camera and being able to do some things that you can't do with anything else. But I guess it's, you know, a, a case of user be aware. You know, that's that's one of the prices you pay for this amazing camera. And it's sort of worth reminding ourselves, well, actually, yes, that is a, a cost. But at the same time, it's not as if you can't go, oh, I want to use the standard camera app. And at that time, you'll then get similar performance. And as you say, because of the superior optics and sensors, you'll probably still end up with far better photos than you will from any other camera phone. So, you know, I think a lot's going to be made of this. And inevitably, when you pick up something that's uh, definitely a negative, um, it kind of gets picked up. But keep it in proportion, maybe, would be my advice. <laughs> okay, let's rattle through a few of my other minor issues one by one. Um, the settings get reset if you close the camera. So, for example, you, you're taking a lovely sunset scene and you've got the white balanced exposure, shutter speed, it's all set up. And then you, you, someone calls you, so you, you answer the phone, you have a quick call. Right, let's get back to the sunset. All your settings have been reset. It's back, everything's back on auto. That is really annoying. And, and just like on the Nokia, old Nokia 808 from uh, a year or so ago, and on, indeed on many other camera applications certainly third-party camera apps they can maintain presets and it'll be lovely to see a system of presets here where even just one that it yes here's my creative preset go back to that or might the preset label steve or rafe let's switch to that and, and all your settings with the, the appropriate ups downs plus minus they all come back in one go that will be really handy and easy to fix i think yeah no disagreement from me there uh, i mean it's clearly done deliberately by design because you can understand that if someone's going away from the camera for a long time, when they come back, they probably do want everything on, on fully automatic. But I think the idea of having presets works really well in a camera. You know, you do get it on, you know, the Android devices. You've had it on the Symbian devices as well with the 808. And there are third party camera apps on Windows phone that do it. So, you know, it, it feels like it would be the obvious thing to add 
uh, you know, to the menu, you've already got something like bracketing mode that was introduced into pro cameras, kind of one of the early updates. Would it hurt to have a preset or two in there? Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's possible, but, uh, you know, with all of these, it's the balance between creating uh, a user interface and a user experience that feels very polished and is easy to use without getting it over cluttered. And, and Steve and I were talking about this before the podcast and saying it, it kind of depends on your point of view. I like a, a user interface that doesn't have clutter and it doesn't overwhelm you um, and has this what would be called a self-disclosing UI and this is what you have on pro camera you slide out the kind of central portion of the the capture button or the focus button and then you get these concentric rings revealed to let you change all the settings or you can swipe them down from the the bottom or select them rather from the top of the screen with the icons you know i think that's really elegantly done and every time you add something to that you have to be careful that you don't don't spoil that um but yes, I'd agree with you. See, you know, presets of some kind would be a good idea. Um, I'm just not enough of a designer to say how they should be introduced. Yeah, the obvious thing is to put them on the standard three dots Windows menu and just have a save preset and load preset. And, and that would be very, very easy to knock his doing. It wouldn't involve messing around with the on-screen UI at all. So there you are. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a really obvious one. I'm sure they can fix this. this. If I was a programmer, I know exactly how I'd fix this. Wouldn't you reframe an image and you use your, your two fingers or your two thumbs to, to splay into an image to reframe it? Um, you can also rotate it. And unfortunately, every single time you zoom in in that way, you also rotate it slightly because you can never keep your fingers exactly on the same pixel, a horizontal. So every time you zoom in, you actually effectively tilt the image one degree this way, two degrees that way. And it will be the simplest thing in the world, Rave, to have a little thing. If the degree of rotation is less than five degrees, then keep the horizontal as is because it probably means the user didn't mean to rotate it. If the degree of rotation is more than, say, five degrees, it means they didn't want to rotate it, so accept the rotation. And this is so, will be so easy for them to fix. Yeah, I mean, I think it's notable that there is this rotation because actually, you know, it, it's great because you can reframe an image and do sort of interesting angles or even correct it when you haven't got the horizon right. But um, it's also a pain when you go back out and you kind of want to go back to full mode and you can't quite get that orientation right so i'd actually like to see kind of a, a reset orientation or lock orientation maybe um i guess it's being a bit picky here but uh yeah i'll give the thumbs up to that one as well okay um here's, here's one which i guess is a bug every time you reframe something rotate something or nearly every time you get a black border of a pixel or two down the left and right hand screen of the resulting jpeg I just, I'm just guessing that no one spotted it, Nokia, because most of the phones have black bezels, so those black borders got merged into plastic. Yeah, I don't know about that one. It, you're right, probably a bug that's going on when they're, they're doing this processing. I mean, this reframing uses something called the RAR JPEG technology, which is a random access JPEG technology, which allows this really fast processing. Given that you're dealing with, you know, 15 megabyte, you know, 36 megapixel images, it should be a lot slower than it is. But uh, this technology basically allows partial processing of a, a jpeg and as a result the performance is very smooth but um i don't think uh, this black border is related to that but of course you know there is uh, quite a bit of processing going on to make this happen um and yeah it's probably uh, some kind of bug that has just been added on so hopefully that'll get fixed as well okay my final issue is, is i guess not so much of an issue as a worry um storage space now, taking a normal photo with a normal camera phone, you're talking about a two megabyte JPEG typically, maybe maybe three if, it's, if there's a lot of detail. Here, because of the dual capture system, you're talking of around 20 uh, megabytes for each photo. 
Now, if you multiply that, if you're a shutterbug like me and you take you know, a dozen photographs a day, if you add all that up, you're suddenly talking about a, a six to eight gigabytes per month. And you've only got 32 gig in the phone. If you add it, take a few videos as well, and you add in a bit of music, a bit of media, you're very close to filling up the phone very, very quickly. And I, I know I've, I've moaned about sealed memory devices before, but I can't help feeling that I really, as a, as a camera-centric device, there should have been the provision for micro SD. Not least because camera um, fans like taking photos captured to micro SD, taking the micro SD out and stick it into another device as a very, very quick way of transferring the media. I, just, I think Nokia have just kind of taken their off the ball here. Uh, it's an interesting one here because this is this has come up a lot. And from a personal point of view, I would have rather had a, a micro SD slot in there. You know, it would have added a, a little bit to the cost, but I don't think it would have been a, a significant factor on a high-end device like this. So it's obviously a deliberate decision from a I think it's the design lines point of view, you know, putting that in it weakens it structurally, it spoils the lines on the outside of the device and designers like things to keep things nice and simple. And I've always sort of been a little bit, well, can't you work the design around something that's uh, you know, that important? The other reason is, you know, of course, 32 gigabytes is regarded as enough. I do think you bring up an important point here, though, that you know, these photos are typically going to be anything up to five times bigger than, you know, a standard, you know, high-end camera um i wonder whether you know there's this thought that you have to do this managing your photos on your phone you have to take a decision to delete some i'm not sure how many people do that i know thinking about my own experience on previous devices i tend to take the photos and leave them there and then only once in a blue moon do i take everything off and you know, especially given that they're kind of backing up automatically to SkyDrive now it's become much less of a concern for me but it, it would use a lot of space. Uh, on the other hand, you know, putting more memory on there, which would be, you know, having a 64 gigabyte version, I wouldn't be surprised to see that as a specialist device at some point. Um, by the way, that increases cost. So, you know, I think it comes down to power users would like to see this, and I mean real power users, but a lot of other people, 32 gigabytes is enough. And certainly all the user surveys that are done indicate that most people can cope with 16 gigabytes so that then leaves 16 gigabytes free for you know videos and images and actually a little bit more because obviously that 16 gigabyte does typically include that so from a purely personal point of view yes i would like to see it and i agree it's a bit of a misstep on the other hand it feels like a bit of a storm in a teacup to me because it doesn't really you know you still got loads of space you can still record a lot of stuff on there and if you're generating that kind of volume stuff, you're going to have to back it up somewhere, put it somewhere at some point. And so does this force you to do it a little bit more frequently? What if it forces you to do it on a monthly basis? I can't really see that that's going to be that much of a chore because, of course, it's going to take a similar amount of time whenever you choose to do it. Um, so for me, it's enough space to be able to you know, go on holiday, shoot as much as you like and do as much as you like and then come back and, and deal with it. Um, I think it's part of the more general issue. How do you start dealing with, you know, media that you're creating when it's taking up so much space, and you know, especially when cloud storage is often charged by the gigabyte, or you know, do you put it on your home computer? Yeah. Uh, how do you do that if you don't necessarily have a home computer, or if you're just tablet based? And you know, there's kind of interesting issues. I don't think it's as specific to the 1020 though, uh, but maybe you're right as a content creation device that the issues are going to come up more on that than anything else. Yeah. I'd 
I wouldn't declass the storage issue as a showstopper for me. If you said, here's Steve, here's a Lumia 1020, I wouldn't say, no, Ref, I don't want it. It's only got 32 gigabytes. <laughs> um, and I, yes, images do back up immediately. They go into Wi-Fi range and over cellular if you want it to. Um, what about videos? I mean, I haven't really experimented with this. Do, do you, videos upload at full resolution to SkyDrive? You, again, there's a kind of option to do it at kind of a, a standard resolution and then do it at a, a full resolution. That's in the same same settings place. You can go into backup yeah. and play with that there, also in the photos and video settings. Um, the, the one thing to bear in mind, of course, is with a 1020, you don't upload the kind of full resolution photos. You're just uploading the 5 megapixel so-called sharing images. Uh, I'm sure there are going to be you know, apps coming along before too long that allow you to do things with those full resolution images. The Nokia Imaging SDK that got released recently is one that's, I, I understand, is one of the things you can do is sort of look at that. Actually, on the American uh, 1020, the AT&T allows you to upload to the AT&T Locker, which is their own kind of cloud storage service, including the full resolution images. It's also pretty easy to get them off if you just plug it into a PC. You can kind of copy copy them off. And definitely there is an issue around even on a Wi-Fi connection, you know, 10 megabyte images are going to take a while to upload. Probably more importantly, they're going to use quite a bit of battery as well. So I think it, it needs careful thinking about. I mean, I think there's a, a perfect case to be made here for an app that um, specifically uploads those kind of the full resolution samples somewhere, but only does it when there's, uh, you know, an external power present and a Wi-Fi connection available and maybe at night when there's nothing going on on the device you know as you might expect for podcast downloads but obviously this is the other way around so I think an enterprising third-party developer could uh, do some interesting things here and um, per- perhaps in partnership with a cloud storage provider you know photo life is a good example that provides you know large amounts of photo storage for relatively small amounts of money um, but you know there's a couple of issues to address there um like you, I don't see it as a showstopper. I mean, it's much less of an issue for me than it is for you. But uh, again, I guess something to be aware of. There's just one issue I want to bring up myself, and you did mention it in your review, and that's talking about um, kind of ways to adjust saturation, sharpness, and contrast. There isn't anything currently in the Pro Camera app that allows you to do that. There are other camera apps out there that you know, will allow you to do that. Um, I think uh, one shot has just come out and that's again based on the Nokia imaging SDK and other smartphones from other providers allow you to do in some cases I think the 808 was kind of well known for having this uh, brightness setting and also uh, you could set the JPEG encoding to be slightly higher on the 1020 it's actually at 95% uh, so it's already pretty good so I don't think that's a concern but there, this sharpness issue and interesting looking at the comparisons that you in all the comments have been around um, the processing, which is really about edge enhancement, sharpness, and you know the color choice. I think that's interesting because they kind of ignored the fact that it was, uh, in some ways, it says everything you need to know about the trench. They ignored the stuff about detail and everything else. It was just the way they'd been processed, which, as we've said many times, is quite subjective. But I wonder if there isn't space within Pro Camera to have those settings adjustable. I mean, it's something that certainly can be done from a technical point of view. You know, Nokia could adjust their imaging stack their software to allow for that is that something you'd like to see in in the 1020 steve so that you could you know switch the 1020 to produce maybe more neutral images uh, which uh, are truer to life despite the fact that people do seem to prefer these images that you know kodak color or the difference between various film types we've had that in the past and that vibrancy that edit sharpness and you know i think it was popularized in some ways by the iphone making things pin sharp which was really about you know, edge enhancement and then that sort of 
contrast and things like that. I, I think Nokia have actually got it fairly good on the 1020. Maybe I would tone it down a bit personally, but clearly there are people who would like to be able to change it a, a, a kind of more than just those small gradations. Is that something you'd like to see in the software? Yeah, I think that given that they've got these um, pop-down rotational controls for adjusting all the other settings, I cannot for the life of me see why they couldn't add um, pop-down rotational controls for those very things, sharpness, saturation, contrast, because they'll be very easy to show on, on screen. As it, it may be an ex- exaggerated view, but it'll be quite easy to show in the preview exactly the effects of yeah. those settings. Now, the, the downside will be that you don't have too many of these rotational controls. You display them all out and you get about a dozen of the blessed things. So I guess the next question is that you'd have to put in the settings checkboxes for which controls do you want to show in the main interface and I presumably this is the first version of the Nokia Pro camera application I'm sure this sort of thing is in the works and if it was me I'd have checkboxes so for example I don't tend to adjust the um, shutter speed very much not something I really touch so therefore I would like to see that control removed and be replaced by one of these other three and it would be nice to have that degree of control but um, it's still not a showstopper I just I want to summarize right before we finish the podcast and yep. um, I said in, in the verdict of my review that uh, people used to, what I call, iPhoneography, you know, standard 2013 camera phones taking pretty damn good photographs in in reasonably good light conditions of normal subjects. And to be honest, the 1020 won't do a a better job than any of these cameras. Things like the Galaxy S4 and the iPhone 5, Lumia 95, they do a great great job for 90% of the time. But the moment you start wanting to zoom in, the moment you want to get creative, the moment you want to do anything different, the moment the conditions get tricky, the moment the subject gets tricky or harder to capture, those are the moments where the 1020 will come to the fore. Um, so I, I think certainly for people who haven't seen the Nokia 808, and you, you made this good point a few times in, over the last few days to me, Rafe, that a lot of people will come to the 1020. It will be brand new to them. They will not have seen Nokia's pure view ideas. They will have, this will be their first uh, uh, presentation of this, this Zoom reinvented idea. And for them, it, it will hopefully blur a few minds. And I, I think it's definitely, as you said, many times it's a halo device for Windows Phone. It's a flagship device for Nokia. And uh, as a camera camera phone fan and as a shutterbug myself I, I, I love to see this this pure view idea this pure view technology making its way out onto a more mainstream and more future-proof platform yeah and i think that's the important point that people need to realize about the 1020 yes it absolutely does produce better images than uh, any other camera phone out there at the moment with maybe a, a caveat there for the 808 but uh, the 808 isn't really available anymore and so you know, it, it's for existing users. We put put that in, um, but I think more than that, it actually introduces new ways to take photos. And this zoom and reframe, which I think we'll come back to in a future podcast to talk about a bit more, really does add a, a level of flexibility that's hard to get across unless you try it out yourself, and very hard to describe in an audio podcast. But it's also the ability to take better pictures in a more diverse range of situations. We haven't touched on it very much. You know, it's an extension of this low light performance that Nokia's already introduced with some of its other devices. Um, and it, it's a fairly simple truth that when you've got a more complex camera with better optics and a better sensor, the edge cases, so low light or when you're facing into the sun and various other elements, you'll get a, a better result. And so the end result for users is not only do you get better photos for the standards that 90% you're talking about, you're able to take photos that you wouldn't have been able to take before. And that's thanks to the zooming and the reframing and in situations that wouldn't have worked before. And so it's not just about having better quality images coming out. It's about being able to take a really good picture more of the time. 
And for me, the 1020 is the device that really gets to the point where you can leave behind a point-and-shoot camera and it is as good as, and in some ways it, it's better. Now, there's always going to be caveats to that, but uh, I, I feel that the current range of sort of top-end phones with the you know sensors one over three inches are good enough, but the 1020 just steps it up into that category where you go, yeah, I really don't need to carry a, a camera around with me all the time. Um, I'd actually kind of got to that point already with the 925, but I was aware of the sacrifice I was making. It was a convenience thing. I think now it's really, unless you're buying a, a more expensive point and shoot, and we're talking the two, three hundred pound price range, or obviously DSLRs, it, it's hard to justify why you'd carry around a hundred pound point and shoot camera with the 1020. And that's perhaps it, its most astonishing achievement. Um, and just to, come back to what Steve said right at the beginning the engineering achievement in the 1020 really is quite amazing and you kind of look at it and you start using it it's only then can you really appreciate what's been achieved and I don't think you can can say it enough it really is quite astonishing compared to anything else that's out there getting everything that's in it into a, a 10 millimeter yeah. tall camera module <laughs> you know it, it you can't really come up with enough superlatives and it sounds a bit embarrassing but honestly it really is quite a miracle of, of, of technology and Nokia deserve every single plaudit that they get for it. Yeah, and just to, to finish, people know that uh, I also cover other platforms. I have here a Galaxy S4 Zoom and I did the tests a week or so ago on the site and uh, a wide range of 10 shots, some, most with some degree of zoom. And the 1020 actually ended up beating the S4 Zoom. Now, if you look at an S4 Zoom, gentle listener, go out and Google an image of it if you haven't actually held one. It's it's something of a monstrosity in terms of hardware and depth and size. It's something like twice the thickness of the 1020. And overall, I think the 1020 took better photographs. Which I, And the 1020 felt 100 times sleeker and slicker and smoother in the hand and better engineered. And we you know with, with much higher quality materials, metal and high quality polycarbonate rather than cheap plastic. So, uh, yeah, I echo what Rafe just said. It's a tremendous device in the hand. It's, I feel rather sorry that I've got to hand it back to you and another reviewers very shortly. But I, I'm sure there'll be full European retail uh, 1020s available for review sometime um, early in September, Rafe. Yeah, that's right. I guess that's the question that everybody wants to know. All the Americans have uh, been able to get their hands on the 1020, well, albeit the AT&T subscribers, but what about the rest of the world? Well, there's no official announcements from Nokia yet, but the indication is still that it's going to be arriving probably in September. Um, I suspect, again, it's going to be a staggered launch, so can Nokia's key markets, places like China, India, the UK... Germany uh, are going to get it ahead of other countries uh, but once it becomes available worldwide I guess it'll be easier to do sort of imports into other countries as well um, but yeah no, nothing official there it still looks like the first week of September. Okay well I guess we should wind things up there Rafe. Yes I think that's a, a good place to end the podcast we've ended up running longer than we intended to and we haven't really even uh, talked about all the imaging stuff so I think we might have Steve back on a future podcast to talk a little bit about video I know you've got an upcoming piece on that on the site Steve and uh, be interesting to get your view when you've used the 1020 a little bit more so if not next week uh, once you've got your hands on a, a European variant and used it for a few weeks we'll do another deep dive into the imaging on the 1020 but I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast so it only remains to say goodbye from me and thank you for listening and Steve perhaps you would like to sign us off yes uh, goodbye from me as well and don't forget all about windowsphone.com all our wonderful features and news content make sure you've got them in your RSS feed feed at feed reader of choice bye for now